Welcome to Householders, a conversation about American life as Zen practice. I'm Inga Annie Wade. And I'm Kyosaku John Mitchell, and we're lay members of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center. Well, we talk a lot about, we have talked a lot about kind of ceremonial or ritual aspects of Zen more than I would have expected, really. Like we talk about sitting in a nuts and bolts way, but we've also talked about, uh, you know, altar service and candles and chanting and statues of the Buddha and all these things that I think maybe some Zen people discourage or aren't aren't really interested in. Mm-hmm. We've, we've also talked a lot about just spirituality in general and our religious backgrounds and sort of our pre-religious spiritual experiences and the stuff that that we sort of understood about reality intuitively as children and as young adults of, of there being more to life than just sort of what it, how it appears on the surface. And, you know, overall, it's been, it's been kind of a spiritual thread that we've been on. And then last week we had Ian on uh, and talked about maybe the more sort of material or grounded aspect of Buddhist practice and how it helps in a in a in a more practical way and in a in a more earthly way uh, and for some people that's really important that that it that it have that those sort of tangible material benefits and that it isn't really sort of a spiritual thing but I don't think that dichotomy really exists in Zen and I don't think it really exists for either of us I think we like to think of it as sort of all one thing uh, and mm-hmm. I certainly do. As much as it is a spiritual experience for me, that's just one way of looking at what it is. So I'm kind of interested to talk about the forms of Zen, which I think to a lot of people, and even within the Buddhist world, it has this reputation of being, you know, bells and smells are what they say about Zen services. You know, mm. there's there's lots of bowing and there's the, there's the, you know, very stark appearance of the Zendo and the incense and the offerings and you know, those, those don't look like simple earthly grounded ceremonies to people who don't really know what they're looking at. They look kind of like magical rituals of some kind, but they, but they all do, all of those forms do serve a real practical purpose. And I think they're really interesting to look at through that lens. Like what could it possibly mean that we're offering incense why would we do that what what is with the number of bells that we ring or the you know the number of times that we clack the sticks like some all of this seems like it has all this symbolic meaning but it really does have this practical side and i don't know if it's i don't know if it's obvious to everyone at first but to me it always was it just sort of it sort of didn't feel like magic to me it felt like this is just the stuff that makes sense to do uh, in order to contain this practice, how, how did how did it strike you when you first saw, like Soto Zen ritual? In comparison to some of the other practices that I attended, I felt like it was actually more grounded than they were, uh, and I didn't feel as intimidated going in, and just being a part of the actual practice and stuff. But at the same time, those kind of ritualistic pieces still exist except for the difference was is that while they were performing them at the zendo they would outwardly say that this isn't the important part 
Hmm. They would say this is just the extra stuff. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do any of this to like be a good Buddhist or... I mean, they wouldn't say those words exactly. (laughs) Yeah, this is what you took away. (laughs) That's what I took away, exactly. That the real real important part of the practice is, of course, the sitting. And, And what we've talked about ourselves is, I mean, to a certain extent is this the sangha and of course the the dharma too so the other stuff is i do feel like serves an important purpose though i mean just the the bowing for one yeah actually like becomes sort of a common practice uh when you practice it long enough i think at first it feels awkward like what am i what am i doing right now mm-hmm. but when you learn like what it means you're you're just showing gratitude for the space that you're in, the people that you're meditating with, you know, the abbot for, for being there and, you know, teaching you and the moment and even the things that didn't go so well today. There's always a place and a time to bow or, you know, give give gratitude. And I see myself doing this all the time mm-hmm. i even if i'm just like i say thank you to someone yeah i know there, there's actually something really interesting there that we might like to get into sometime about just about the the the, the japanese-ness of the form maybe this is what this this is an aspect of what we're talking about like us doing japanese culturally japanese things is uh you know th- there are some strange things about that and i'm not i don't even I don't even know how to describe what it would be like from the outside for a Japanese person or for a, an, an East Asian person who's not a Japanese person in a situation like that. But but even just from the inside, there there are certain things about this that make me feel uncomfortable sometimes. And like the way that we use Japanese names with each other and, mm-hmm. you know, that the, there's there are there are interesting places where we decide to keep those Japanese forms and places where we decide to translate things or, or just do the American version of a form or a custom. But the bowing, the bowing has always seemed very natural to me and, and clearly is part of like the Buddhist part of the practice, you know, like, yes, Japanese people bow, but there's, there's, there's every, every Buddhist tradition does, does the palms together, uh, gasho gesture uh they don't necessarily i mean i I think that are that that soto zen bowing happens at specific times in specific directions you know there's a lot of it related to sitting down and getting up from zazen that's all particular to us but it's it's a it's a it's like a fundamental buddhist gesture to put the palms together uh and to bow to things even if it's to the statue statues of the buddha or or whatever it is, but there was always something to me about doing it that that felt right, and part of it was just the feeling of lowering my myself to whatever I'm, who whatever or whoever I'm bowing to. There's something, uh, so it's like some little piece of enlightenment that happens, mm-hmm. like the ego drops away, and I and you know the thing or person that I'm bowing to becomes like the center of, and I, and I step out of the center. Um, and that, that feels like a practice. It's not just a custom. It's not just a gesture. It's, it's a practice. 
yeah yeah very a very good practice and and realizing that we're all equals here and then then the the bowing specifically this is this is i think more like the hallmark of a soto zen person is is bowing to the cushion bowing to the space and bowing to the cushion in preparing for zazen i i do that reflect not reflexively but i do it intentionally every time i sit down on my cushion even if i'm by myself i bow to the cushion and i bow to the space and you know the other way around when i'm standing up and that has always been it's like a little bit of a you know mindfulness step like just a little check to like get Mm -hmm. am i ready to cross this threshold and do this thing uh but the the effect in the zendo of bowing to the room to everybody else i think is really profound too it's it feels like a support gesture like i honor the sitting you all are about to do and and that and i love seeing uh, everybody else doing that too it, it's kind of the flip side of the thing we've talked about as as maybe one of the risks or problems with Soto Zen culture of just the uniformity and militarism of the way that we move and the way that we dress and all that stuff. The the you know I think to some people, the movements, the scripted movements, and the bowing at the specific times and all that can feel like part of that. But I I really don't feel that way when I see people in the Zendo bowing. It feels like feels like an act of service it makes it it makes it into something that's f- supportive of everyone else and it's it not does. just about going to have your own personal enlightenment experience on a cushion by yourself when we go to chanting i i love the chanting by the way uh, that has probably freaked a few people out sure. hearing chanting <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> uh but you know i think the chanting itself can get you sort of in a meditation space um you know there are chanting practices there there's like whole like religious sects of buddhism that just do a whole bunch of chanting or other types of religion yeah sure lot there's japanese ones ones that are very close to ours and sort of history and place and i i love singing too so it was it's kind of like this nice place to use your voice to meditate which is um very calming to me yeah me too and actually like i have heard some people say that they you know that they like my my chanting because i mm. think that i like do it really loud <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're supposed to <laughs> Um, and after, after we chant and everything and sensei starts to do his sort of like Sunday ceremony kind of thing and we bow to him and we bow to like each other, we face each other, we bow to each other. It just feels really powerful that, you know, we can, we can see each other and we're all here together and respecting one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of it does feel like it's about respect. It's like self-respect, respect for the practice itself, and and certainly respect for each other. Like that's that's the whole reason, you know, you get together with people and do this formal thing is that it elevates the experience for everybody else to see other people doing these forms and to to be joined together in doing it. And you know, yeah, like we say this over and over again in a lot of different ways. Zazen is what it all comes down to in our lineage and in our tradition there's there's kind of two layers to the other stuff that's not zazen in relation to the zazen like there's the there's the it's all still zazen layer you know like Mm -hmm. zazen zazen is just sort of like the archetype of what it is but but we're in that same mode when we're doing these movements or this chanting but then there's also the 
just the the way that the way that Zazen forms kind of the center of all of this whole ceremony, like we sit and then we ring the bell and we do the the ritual and then we sit and you know the the ritual sort of marks the importance and and kind of takes you back out of whatever might be going on in your mind on the cushion, whatever might you know the the there are all kinds of things that don't look and feel like. Zen practice can happen to you while you're doing Zen practice. And mm-hmm. so the, the, the ceremonial stuff and even just the smell of the incense while you're sitting kind of ca- kind of calls you back to what it is you're doing here yeah. in, in, a, in a bigger, broader sense than whatever story you might have going on inside. Yeah, I might wash my, my clothes that I wear to the Zendo, you know, once a month or something like that because mm-hmm. uh, I'm only wearing it. Right. once a week to the zendo but yeah. uh it starts to smell like the incense mm-hmm. um and i don't know it just it it smell is very associated with memory and i think it can actually bring back like how you were feeling at yeah. the moment in the yeah. zendo after you were done meditating and while you were sitting in this community with you know all the people that were sitting with you and i think the bell can be like the same thing i mean you know it sounds like there's a lot of rituals, but we have a lot of rituals in our regular everyday life. That's you a know? Very good point. I mean, when we were in grade school, they would they had a bell when you were going to different class. Mm-hmm. And just like in Zazen, you can't wait for the bell to ring. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the bell in Zazen, uh, it it also brings up back that memory of like how I was feeling when I was meditating. But also it it brings me back to the moment, no matter mm-hmm. where I am, where I am in that headspace. If I've mm-hmm. wandered off in meditation to like follow this weird like thought train and I don't even know where I am anymore, mm-hmm. <laughs> which happens sometimes, then the bell just like brings me right back and like in the moment. Yeah. One of the things we do in our sangha that I don't know how universal it is related to the bell is ring it every 15 minutes during Dharma talks too. And this isn't like the first time I've ever seen that, but, but I don't know that I've never really been in, uh, you know, a Sangha environment for months on end like this. Uh, so, and, and no one off Dharma talk I've ever been to has done this, this thing where no matter what's happening, when 15 minutes pass, somebody rings a bell and everybody gives gasho and the speaker stops speaking. And then, you know, the, the bow is over and you go back to it. You know, I kind of wish I had that, like I should set my watch for to to like set off like just a timer every fifteen minutes, uh, no matter what I'm doing, you know, because it brings you back, like you're saying. But yeah. but the but the fact that it's the sound of the bell, the, the the bell that we are used to in zazen, you know, even when we're in this situation where somebody's talking, they're they're using words, they're they're creating all these concepts. You're trying to listen. You're thinking about other things. You're doing stuff that feels like normal real world adulty kind of stuff that doesn't feel like meditation practice sometimes because you're thinking Mm -hmm. about what you're going to say or you know you're trying to understand what somebody's talking about and then the bell goes off and you know at at, you know most of the time it's just like ah right like you know like it's a good reset we're doing but then then (laughs) occasionally it goes off right after somebody says something so mind-blowing that there's like a potent emphasis to that moment you know somebody says something beautiful and the bell goes off 
And, you know, the thing that they said just reverberates in your mind, like it's so meaningful. I mean, on the other end, I think that it could also be a little irritating. Hmm. Like someone's in the middle of saying something uh-huh. and then the bell goes off. But it's nice to be mindfulness of those kinds of feelings too, like being interrupted kind of thing. <laughs> uh, I believe this practice actually, uh, I remember someone at the Zendo telling me that this is actually uh, from Thich Nhat Hanh. Oh. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Thich Nhat yeah, Hanh. Yeah. So I was like, yes. But I, I knew what they were talking about right away because he's always said like, oh, you know, like you should have little reminders throughout the day, no matter what they are. If you're, you know, driving down the road in traffic, if you hit a red light, that should be a signal to practice some mindfulness and try to be in the moment. So I really enjoy that practice. Yeah, that's cool. It's nice to know that, that that's the origin for our sangha of doing that. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Like sometimes, sometimes it's, it feels like an interruption, but then of course it's just a pause. And then even if it does interrupt, like if I, if it happens while I'm talking, I might feel that pang of like, Hey, I was talking, <laughs> but, but the, but then there's, there's still the opportunity to sort of let that pass and then appreciate yeah. it. And yeah, it's, you're right. It's like any other interruption, you know, that's, that's what sort of Zazen 101 really is all about. It's like, there's somebody with a leaf blower <laughs> I'm reminded of the time you came over here and we were doing Zazen in my backyard and there was there were literally two leaf blowers wailing away at us the whole time. And th- there is the sort of the cliche that like, ah, this is the practice too. But it's true. And, you know, the, well, actually, there's a big one that's been coming up in my morning sitting. I, I don't know why, but my oldest kid is waking up super early uh, the last few days um, and it's too early for her. So she's crying out mm-hmm. at, you know, and I'm like, I've been sitting for 10 or 15 minutes and I hear like this, this brain shattering child whining noise from upstairs. And I, and I go through this whole thing of like, oh my God, my meditation is over. I have to go upstairs or, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, something's wrong. But usually it's, it sounds more like complaining than distress. Yeah. So it's not like something's wrong. It's just like, oh God, really? You know, I just sat down. And so I go through all these feelings and then I, you know, I have to get all the way to like, I love my child and I will do what I will do anything for her. And, you know, this is my practice and I will go upstairs. And like, usually by the time I've gone through this whole transformation, she's already gone silent and probably fallen back asleep. And so it's, 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 uh, you know, it's a lot to work with, but sometimes that's that's better practice than just like complete uninterrupted you know silence spinning out on whatever's happening like those interruptions can sort of bring into relief you know exactly what really needs to to get worked out here oh absolutely i mean that that gives you the opportunity to learn how to uh, apply your practice to real life i mean that's the beauty of uh, of householder practice is mm-hmm. the is right. the screaming children and the um <laughs> and the cats that are meowing in your ear. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but then you make an interesting connection cuz like what we're what we're talking about what we were talking about before is really the temple practice. It's the it's the it's the the bells and the chanting and the incense and all that stuff. Those are those are from the monastery and that's we're doing just sort of like a little mini monastic practices. Mm-hmm. But they have all of the elements that you're talking about. Like this is the real world stuff. They're they're idealized and they're simplified and they're turned into these ritualistic, almost play acted versions. But they are real situations. They do involve you know 
people moving in spaces and furniture and you know implements and picking up the stick and hitting the bell with it and like there's all there's all these objects and the, and and that that does bring the practice into the tangible realm kind of in the same way that householder life blends the blurs the line between you know zazen and and daily activity you know the these ceremonies sort of represent maybe like symbolic versions of the same thing and in the and, and in real monastic life the next thing you do after ceremony like this is go sweep the hallway and that's you know that's that's the the monastery's version of householder practice too i will say speaking of which yeah so after after sunday uh service is done you uh get with everybody and you and you clean it's like you know not nothing really really hard or anything and in fact like they've accommodated me a lot with my disabilities i've still wanted to help out and I would get to sort of pick what I felt like I could do that day, which I could do a lot more than I used to now. But and I I really think that obviously there's a time to practice that in regular everyday life. And um, I'm actually grateful to be able to do chores. You know, the house gets messy and I want to clean it up. I want to clean it up because I, you know, I'm grateful for the house that I live in and I'm grateful that I am able to clean up because I haven't always been able to clean up and I would have to put the chores on Ian if I couldn't do it. Sometimes I'm unable to chop the vegetables and Ian has to do it. And I am just grateful every time I do get to chop vegetables and wash dishes and uh, sweep the floor. Yeah. Oh man. That's the real Zen practice. That's a real householder Zen practice for sure. But it's also the monastic practice. I'm glad that we do that uh, on Sundays. I've only ever attended Sunday Dharma talks on Zoom, so I, <laughs> I have to go. I go clean my own house after that. I guess I look forward to having this relationship with that space that I have with my with my own space. And you know, it's it's. I mean, we talk about our community as a householder community, right? Everybody's got jobs. Yeah. And, and so there's the, even there are, the residents even have jobs, right? Like the residents like and, the, and the priests, the, unless they're, unless they're yeah. retired, but they definitely had jobs the whole time they were learning. Right. Yeah. So that, that value, the value that we talk about on here suffuses the whole Sangha and everything we do. But there's something that I've been really looking forward to and have felt sort of starting to to sprout in me the few times that I have been to the Zen center, um, just to, you know, meet with sensei one-on-one or pick something up or drop something off or whatever. There's a feeling coming up in me that this is our house too. The center is our house, you know, and it's, you know, I'm not sure that I would make the distinction between householder and monastic as far as this relationship goes, but like we're a householder in that family too. And in that home and the, the, stuff that we do in there, the little rituals and ceremonies. I really loved what you said a little while ago about how we, how we have, it may seem like a lot of rituals when you walk into the Zen center for the first time, but we have a lot of rituals in every house. You know, we just had my mother-in-law's birthday party uh, on Sunday and my kid has not been to a lot of birthday parties. She's been to a few birthday parties, but my, you know, my, my father-in-law really did it up. The decorations were everywhere and there were party hats and noisemakers and everything. And, you know, the table was all set and we sang happy birthday and we, she knew the candles were coming and we did the candles and blew out the candles and all that stuff. And there was a really magical atmosphere about it. 
you know, and I'm not sure what was so magical about it for me. I mean, I think it was really just watching it, how magical it was for my yeah, kid. Yeah, of course. But, but, but like that, these kinds of ceremonies are throughout our life. And just because we do them all the time doesn't mean that we can't do them with the same kind of presence and awe that we would bring to something that seemingly more special or out of the ordinary, like lighting incense and making offerings to a Buddha statue like that, that isn't special or magical. It's the same thing. It's just taking care of the house. It's, it's, it's a thing that you do in the space to sort of mark the passage of time and life. And the, 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 there is no line between that ceremony and any other thing or sweeping up afterwards or stacking the chairs uh, or getting gas on your way home or whatever other stupid thing. Like the point of doing all this stuff, I feel that all these forms and all these movements and all these ritualized scripted things is absolutely the opposite of trying to create some special Zen zone where magic happens. It's about bringing Zen practice into every movement and gesture that we, that we make and the highly organized, formalized movements that we do in these ceremonies are just kind of practice for making the rest of our movements and the rest of our gestures feel that way. Yeah. And I think that when you have rituals in your regular life, like, you, you know, brushing your teeth, flossing your teeth, um, I, I try to exercise during lunchtime and I try to go to bed at a certain time every night. And, you know, at night, Ian and I get to watch an episode of a TV show um, and these things, like, I don't get to control a lot of things in my life and I definitely don't even get to control necessarily if one of those things don't happen or whatever, but it does bring about, a, it creates an atmosphere that makes it easier for me to, like, handle the things that don't go as planned. Um, and I... And I do that specifically, I, I I set a very rigid routine. A lot of people say I'm very disciplined. I wish I was more disciplined in Zen, but I am disciplined in my routine. Um, and that's because it, it prevents me from getting anxiety. <laughs> um, and I think in, in the same way, like if we are doing these ritual practices in Zen, then we are not only like, again, like reminded of certain aspects throughout the day like if we smell an incense or if we hear the bell like that really clears my mind but also when things don't go exactly as planned they don't seem as big of a deal yeah that's really true and then it also brings to mind sort of the the funniest things that happen in a zen situation which is when something doesn't follow the protocol and somebody drops the bowl or bumps into someone or sneezes in the middle of some, you know, prostration or something like there's, there's, there are, there's, there are such opportunities to laugh at the sort of seriousness of what we're doing. Oh, yeah. We all just try our best and doesn't, doesn't always John, happen. There have been so many times where I'm meditating with everybody and I don't know why, but I just think of something funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll just be sitting there laughing while everybody's meditating. And I'm like, oh, my yeah. gosh, why? Why am I laughing now? <laughs> right right before my daughter, my first daughter was born, I went on a seven-day retreat 
and it was pretty intense. It was like eight hours of sitting a day. And the, on the fourth or fifth day, there was just this heaviness, this real like somber mood in the Zendo at, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon, like people were just falling off their cushions and somebody in the back started oh and we we had just gotten some kind of lecture about talking there were there was too much there was too much breaking of the silence happening for somebody and they'd sort of reported it to the teacher <laughs> and so the teacher had given us this admonition about like we really need to respect the silence container for this retreat please and then we sit we've been sitting for a long time and just from the back of the room you hear this giggling start and then all of the people next to that person started giggling and it, and it raced through the room. There were like 50 people on this retreat. And by, you know, two minutes in the entire room was like crying, laughing. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and, and the teacher was trying to just stay like a, like a stone statue up there, but she couldn't help herself. And she started cracking up too. And, People really wanted to keep laughing and keep laughing, but you know, eventually we we had to sort of tamp it down. That's an amazing but moment. It was an amazing moment. It was one of the highest points of the whole retreat for me, precisely because these forms are so illusory. You know, we just do the things that seem that they're good suggestions to sort of keep keep things moving, but they fall apart sometimes, and that's where the sort of truth comes out sometimes and sometimes it comes out in how beautifully and perfectly executed the whole thing was it's just like you know it it, it sometimes it's one way and sometimes it's the other way householders is a production of the atlanta soto zen center in atlanta georgia and the silent thunder order find us on the web at aszc.org our sangha depends on your support you can donate by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gasho.